just let's just talk for a minute about um, some of these recent losses. Did uh, did any of you have connection to any of these uh, any of the names that I mentioned, or or anybody else come to mind that that we've lost from the music world, from the art world in the last year or two? Did I miss anybody? We did. I mean, we did the Ennio Morricone episode when he passed away. Um, for me, like I have the I have a connection with with De La Soul and and Dave and 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 Burt Backrack um and both musicians and that I really like a lot and and they might seem not very connected but I have in my mind there's ways they're connected Wayne Shorter is someone who as a tenor saxophone player uh you know I'm familiar with him but I he his work is always like some of the some of the people I I trust and love a lot have always told me Wayne Shorter is one of their favorite and I've never really dove in and so him passing away it's kind of like a reminder of that still it, there's some excitement for me not not of his passing but of the like there's this whole world of Wayne Shorter that I know is just amazing that I haven't really explored um so I'm excited about that but I I have I have a song I'd love to share from from Trugoy I know you've got stuff I've got some stuff to say about, about Burt Bacharach but um yeah you know life goes on and it's a time to reflect and listen to their stuff and appreciate them and be inspired by them Perfect. Hold the thought on uh, on Trugoy. We'll come back to that. Brandon, yeah. Steve, any any additional thoughts? Uh, <clears throat> I don't have a strong connection to any of them except Mimi Parker, who we already talked about last episode. Yeah, I mean, probably the probably the strongest for me is Wayne Shorter though again I'm not I'm not an aficionado or everything but I think um you know I he's someone I definitely have appreciated th- through the years more and more that I've got to know more of his music and and w- when I was younger and getting into jazz and everything I kind of encountered him and his playing and and on you know mainly through a lot of the Miles Davis albums but he was you know, he was the featured sax player on a lot of my favorite Miles Davis albums. And so in, in kind of in the shadow of Coltrane, he's probably a sax player that kind of, uh, yeah, I, I love his, I loved his playing. And then when I came to really realize that a lot of the tunes I loved, he actually wrote them. <laughs> that was, you know, he's someone that I think, but yeah, a lot of those other names, I mean, in their own ways, I mean, David Crosby isn't someone, wait, is that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm like, was it one of the other <laughs> CSNYs that they get the right one <laughs> who passed we, away? We didn't prematurely sorry. announce anybody's death. Yeah. Neil Young, RIP. Wait, oh, no, sorry. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I, gr- growing up in the 70s, there were certain, you know, Crosby, Stills, Nash songs that were everywhere on the radio or whatever, just on my clock radio that I I remember and that take me back, so... I think I I kind of connect in one way or another to all those artists, but anyway. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. the uh, The Wayne Shorter one was interesting for me. I I was kind of embarrassed um, when I after he passed, I started going through stuff he had contributed to and been a part of, and I realized how much stuff I liked he was he was part of that I didn't realize. I don't know if that is just the nature of his personality or just where he was at on the on the lineups but it seems like a lot of the stuff he didn't necessarily have top billing on but he was there for like these critical Miles Davis albums and he was there with the Jazz Messengers I mean he was on you know probably one of the two most famous 
Art Blakey and Jazz Messenger albums. I think that uh, he was on Night in Tunisia, wasn't he? Which is a like a, a significant album. And so similar to that, it's fun to go back through. But then some of these other ones had a, a much more um, kind of immediate impact or deeper impact that that stuck with me um before i share my thoughts on uh on de la jordan yeah so share what you got so i'll share so an interesting connection between de la and burt Backrack, which seems like well what would there be um so we've all talked about our musical influences one of the big ones of mine one of the most uh prominent ones is my cousin tim that most of you know tim tippets and he was you know two years older than me just always into cool stuff you know the older you know cousin who you're just like you know always interested in the stuff he's interested in so he introduced me to to hip-hop including de la soul and years later i would be surprised i think i've mentioned it before when he would introduce me to like oh i love this i love this lionel richie album or i love this christopher cross you know it's like what you like this because you're because he's into helmet and hardcore and hip-hop but he introduced me in uh, when I came back from my mission in 99 to the Burt Bacharach Elvis Costello album. So he had introduced me to De La years before. Um, I hadn't really gotten into him until around the same time after my mission. I started listening to their new album in 2000, uh, Mosaic Thump, The Artificial Intelligence. I knew some of their earlier stuff, but I loved that album. And for, I would say, this is a hot take for me, I think uh, True Goy, who just passed away recently... You know, kind of, I, I think he's one of the most underrated MCs ever. And I've felt that way for a long time. And you, I listen to his stuff. I like Plug One too. I like, you know, um, Pasta, Pasta Noose as well. Um, and Trugoy to me, his flow, hit the way he rhymes over beats, um, I feel like, and you hear it from the beginning albums. Um, it, it, it evolves though, but it's, it, there's a kind of a mastery. And I just listened to, Mace and Postanus, the two other members of De La Soul on Sway in the morning. They were on last week or two weeks ago. And that's one thing that uh, Postanus said. He said early on, they both said Dave could write a rhyme and a flow from the beginning that was just amazing. He could write something in 10 minutes and do it just like so amazing. And it would take something that would take, you know, a week for Pastanus to do for a song, it would take him 20 minutes to come up with and just flow naturally. And I do think, I don't know how you feel about that, but he's one of the more underrated MCs ever. I agree. They were part of what made them appealing. De La Soul was their, um, they, they changed styles. They did a lot of different, really intentional um, things. And they would do like one thing, one time you could take a, a song like Peas Porridge or whatever. And, the whole delivery is completely unique. Um, some artists would probably take that one thing and make like a whole career out of it. They would do it one time and then do something else. And and Trugoy was a uh, kind of a key figure in in that and and really trying to push uh, the art as much as as they were doing you know anything you know even more so than just trying to get listens. I think and. It it makes for a really unique um, MC that's a, a true artist, and I think probably because of that makes him a little bit underrated because he they seem to just kind of always march to the beat of their own drum, and and sometimes I think that unfortunately doesn't get the recognition it deserves until uh, people start really examining it deeply posthumously. Right. Let's hear to, something from them. Let's hear it. Did you have a song? 
I've got I've got one. Mine's a little later. Maybe you start with yeah, something I'll start, earlier. I'll start in the early. Discography. Um, I'll I'll give like my own. Here's my own my own like conversion story to De La Soul. I was a young man um, living in in Utah County, Provo, Utah. We we don't have the greatest uh, music stores here. We don't have the greatest. Um, public radio radio stage but we do have these little beacons throughout and and i think a lot of people's experience here at least and and people that i've connected with over the years have found these similar musical beacons and so one of these early ones was a kind of our local independent um i guess like alternative rock modern music radio station back through the 90s and they would typically play kind of alternative rock during the day and then on the weekends they had this late night show where they would explore hardcore punk metal and hip hop. Uh, they would do this late Sunday night. I think it was called the witching hour. And I would have to set my cassette tape because they would usually play after I was falling asleep. I would set my cassette tape to record the show, um, not knowing what it was going to be. And then I, the first thing I would do in the morning, I'd pop it out, throw it in my Walkman. And then I would just, listen like so eager to hear because i knew i was going to hear something a little bit edgy a little bit like something maybe i shouldn't be listening to more grown up than i should listen to or something that i had never heard before and they did a hip-hop show one weekend and i still have the tape i've got the cassette cassette at my house still and the it was a really cool a really well curated show and there was this song partway through that absolutely blew my mind it was from the the it ended up being from this band called de la soul and it was literally one of those singular moments that changed like how i viewed music how i viewed art and it and it i think it it was a, a singular moment that even altered like what music i consumed it's this song like sing singularly started me on the path of of just really connecting with with hip hop and underground hip hop in a a really meaningful way and it ended up becoming a really important part of my life. So we can play the song. It's uh it's a super cool <laughs> song. Daylaw is kind of famous. They are they make references on top of references. They were very clever. They use any Daylaw song is probably going to have anywhere from like 10 to 20 samples mixed together. They're very dense. It's it's really easy to kind of get lost in it. And when you start to figure out what pieces there there are, it it becomes really satisfying for the listener. That like I think it's really good listener service, but um, it's really incredible art as well. So I'm gonna have you fire up a song called "My Brother Is a Basshead." Um, it's a heavy song. It's a which album? Uh, it's from De La Soul Is Dead. I think their second album. It's a pretty heavy song. Content-wise, and the way they approach it, it's about a kid whose brother's a, a, a drug addict, um, which was a, a thing familial-wise I, I could relate to as well. Uh, but go ahead and fire it up. And this, at the time, and still when I listen to it, I, give, I get chills, and it's still one of the most unique tracks that, uh, that I have in my life. Make the bass come out so clear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The bass come out so clear. This song does not contain explicit lyrics, but what it does contain is an undesired element. This element is known as the bass head, the lowest of lowest of all elements that exist. And the sad thing is, this particular element is my brother! Brother, brother, oh brother of mine. We 
down as partners in crime. From our parents, nickname was Forge. I was the beaver, you curious George. Wanted to expose to this and that, but curiosity had killed the cat. At this age, no one was red. Though this was the fake that you were fed. Throughout high school, our minds be waste. High off all the cheer that we could taste. Soon you had converted to naval sports. Every five minutes became a snort. Told me that you needed a stronger fix. Stepped to the cracks in an 86. Unlike the other drugs you had control, the substance had engulfed your body and soul. Now from me, you lost dumb respect. Said you need to put that shit in check. Wanted me to believe that you had tried, but your mind and the craving didn't coincide. Said there was a voice inside you that talked. It said you shouldn't stop or continue to walk. Now the brother who could handle any drug had just found the one that could pull his plug. Yo, bro, got another rock for your hiking boots. Gonna make you scream and loop, three loops. Gonna take you far on a freeway. Okay, remember that day? Flip me a smile for a 20 crack file. Guess what time to collect? Correct. Don't have a dime, it's payback time. Payback time. Don't cry to blues, cause I got bad news. Should've stabbed should I bite you? Should I use my tools? No, I got another way to earn my defeat. Slam the child on the hard concrete. Concrete. Have it keep going. I'll, I'll talk over here momentarily. So there was these pieces of it that were familiar to me, but I, w- I couldn't put my finger on it. There's this Doors sample in there. You know, you heard that that piano from uh, which Doors track it. Anyway, there was spoken word. There were samples. I couldn't tell what was lyrical and what was sampled at certain points. It was also seamlessly put together. Okay, they're about to go to church here. Like I could close my eyes and it felt like I was watching a movie where I could get lost in it as a song. I like I literally didn't know what exactly I was experiencing, but I knew it was different than anything else. And I still don't think like even that a song like that, I've never heard there's not there's not groups that do that still. And it's just this weird like multi-sensory thing that piece that draws you in in a in a really unique way the first four albums that de la um made were produced by this guy named prince paul who was kind of like a fifth or a fourth member of de la and he would always intersperse these kind of skits some of them they would write they were really funny um some of them would be sampled in that case, like that church piece is right in the middle of the song rather than a, an intermission piece between songs. But 
it, it all just made for this this fascinating thing. And I just remember I, it was one of those tapes I wore out. I played it. I couldn't grasp what I was listening to. I immediately rewound it, played it, immediately rewound it. And then I went on this hunt just trying to find it until finally, I think, down at Grey Whale, I found a, a – I got a CD copy of De La Soul is Dead. And then from there, it was uh, – it, it became this thing that was that was with me uh, for really forever. Now, the De La story gets gets interesting, and I think this is where this one in particular, the loss of Dave, really kind of tugged at my heartstrings. De La – they were artists. They, um, as as was the case of many albums of that era, they didn't clear all the samples properly. They thought they did, and so when music went over to streaming platforms, they were in the middle of this um, this copyright battle, and so their stuff wasn't on streaming. And so for the first decade, however long streaming's been the primary platform, this whole generation of users couldn't listen to them. Um, they did a thing in the, I think it was about a decade ago, where for one day they were they were angry and they wanted to offer some fan service. They were angry that they couldn't come to a resolution with their label. So for one day uh, back, I think it was about 2013 or so, they released via BitTorrent their first six albums in MP3 format uh, for free download for a 24-hour period. And so that I've had this collection of MP3s that I got in that 24-hour window that has been like this important thing. I've shared it with people that I care about over the years. And then I was so happy they were going to finally hit streaming. And then like a month before they hit streaming, Trugoy passed away. And I thought this was just such a, this is just such a bummer because he, yeah. he didn't get to see it. He didn't get to see, you know, a, a whole generation of, of new listeners experience and them as artists finally get paid for this incredible art that they they put out so this this loss of dave this one definitely it it had a weird impact on me it impacted me much deeper than i than i anticipated it but uh it's it's been so fun and and really rewarding to kind of dig dig back into it his death to me in the same way like happening right before all their stuff got released because there's been this buildup. People like Questlove and others have been talking about like, oh, Daylaw's going to – all their stuff's going to be available. There's a whole new generations of fans that have never really heard their music and it's so foundational to hip-hop. It feels almost like Moses dying before getting the promised land. <laughs> like, like I know that sounds you know cliche or, or whatever, but it does. And there, there's been a lot of – I know you've been following it. I've been following it. There's a lot, a lot of interviews and a lot of people giving their kind of – People as diverse of like Bill Hader and Chris Rock and Maya Rudolph and like all these people talking about how influential De La Soul was to them as comedians, as artists, as people, as teenagers growing up. Um, you mentioned the Prince Paul aspect. So he was he was the first three or four albums. He was like their producer, and he brings this 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 more comedy. I mean, they're funny guys, but he even amped up like the zaniness in their stuff. There was a time where they were kind of like, you know, hip hop is a very newcomer kind of thing. Like it's not, you know, people will talk about the old school, but people don't want to listen to the old stuff a lot of times. Um, and De La was not, you know, maybe seeming as relevant. And they had this, one of their friends said, hey, the stakes is high for you guys. Like it was a cousin of Dave, I think. And that was the, they're like that's the that's the name of this album. Stakes is high. This is in '96, and they this is the first one they did without Prince Paul because they realized 
that's not the headspace we're in, not in the zaniness headspace. So they were artists who were evolving. They weren't just the positive rappers or the peace loving rappers or the artistic rappers. They, they were artists who, who were more multifaceted than that. So they released this album called stakes is high in 1996. This is one of the things that put Jay Dilla on the map. He was, he was already somewhat big, but this was one of his big produced albums. And I would love if we could play, uh, Dave's verse from this because this is him as kind of elder statement statesman in hip hop. They kind of had the ability to critique hip hop and critique the culture in a way that was still loving but still profound and biting. And his his first verse in here, you'll hear him critiquing. You want to play stakes the song stakes the is sta- high. The song stakes is high from the album stakes is high, and um, the second verse is Dave or True Goy the Dove. Uh, he says, I'm sick, of, he, where's, I'm sick of bitches shaking asses, I'm sick of talking about blunts, sick of Versace glasses, sick of slang, sick of half-ass awards shows, sick of name-brand clothes, sick of... Anyway, it's this, it's this like, critique, you know, but... It you, was biting commentary on the yeah. state of what had become popular in hip-hop. Right, right. So I'd love to hear this one, and then I have one more brief one if that's okay yeah i, I got one more too okay. i'll allow it all right struggling that shouldn't be notable man every word i say should be a hip-hop i'm sick of bitches shaking asses i'm sick of talking about blood sick of versace glasses sick of slang sick of half-ass award shows sick of name brand clothes sick of r&b bitches over bullshit tracks cocaine and crap which bring sickness to black sick of swole head rappers with they sickening raps claps and gaps making the whole sick world collapse the facts are getting sicker even sicker perhaps Push to make a bundle to escape the smash. Man, life can get all up in your ass, baby. You better work it out. Now let me tell you what it's all about. A skin not considered equal. A meteor has more right than my people who be wasting time screaming who they've hated. That's why the native tongues has officially been reinstated. A little bit of uh, pasta noose, and then you heard Dave's Dave's verse, and then you hear pasta noose again. Um, but yeah, there was. They could be zany, they could be goofy, but they could be serious and and you know, relevant. And this this album introduced Most Def, so they were influential in so many ways. Um, Most Def was kind of brought along by them. Uh, Common was on this album. Anyway, um, the other one I want to share is from 2000. But do you want to share the next thing, Jason? No, I'll go for it, Jordan. So this is one where Dave. This is one of the my favorite verses of all time. It's called. Trying People is the song. I actually shared this with Steve recently. But in this one, he talks about his own death, which is, you know, um, relevant here. This is released in 2000. Um, I, this is another one who that came out on Tommy Boy, but hasn't been available, you know, for years until now. This is, this is the first album of theirs I actually bought on CD. So Trying People. You'll hear this, you know, juxtaposition of strength and vulnerability. You know, he he rhymes about crying in this song, right? And and but he's also vulnerable but tough, and, and I don't know, just those juxtapositions and the way he carries that has has been, you know, inspiring. Which album is this? Uh, this is from Mosaic Thump. Um, the song is called "Trying" by De La Soul. If you just look up "Trying," it'll show up. Let's see that song on this album. Is it YouTube Music? Trying People? It's the one of the last. Oh, sorry. You know what? It's not on the album. It's on um, Bionics, which is the artif- AOI 2, Artificial Intelligence 2. But the song is trying. 
wrong album. Here we go. Yeah. So we'll just hear the, the first verse. Hey, what up, man? It's me. Um, just calling to see if possible if you have any time today or within the next couple of days if, if you're in the studio or if you're at home or car or whatever that song that is called trying or something mace was telling me that i needed to hear he said it was amazing Whew, the way he was talking man i want to hear it Another lost in the pack. We call shack shit. You know, laugh it off. The years just blow by. My eyes stay fixed, but the picture's kinda out of focus. I cry a lot, but admit to it. Enjoying life now, but I've been through it. Sometimes I wish that I can go back. No bills, no kids, just getting towed back. I want a wife. I love women. How could I front like I don't be in love with them? A little man that I can teach. A little sand. But not the beach. I figure excess I only bring an excessive amount of fuss. So when I'm gone, make sure the headstone reads he did it for us. I'm like a modern day Jesus. I cherish warm thoughts like a great goose and float soft kisses to my way that day's little girl. Yeah, respect for that. She gon' be somebody instead of somebody, baby mama. Baby mama. You see young minds and now I made an armor. I'm trying to pop a hole in your Yankee cap. Absorb me. The skies over your head ain't safe no more. And hip hop ain't your home. And if it is, you can open up the crib, son. You make life look like I don't wanna live one. You might as well hold your breath until you die in the corner somewhere, bent over in the crevice. This God theory overcomes the worst of weathers. As long as you're willing to try, you want a good start, homie. You want a good start. So they trying. Well, are you ready? Yes, we're ready. Are you really ready? We wanna be ready. Ready for the change that may approach you? Yeah. Follow down the path that you're supposed to. Yeah. People, are you ready? Yes, we're ready. Are you really ready to try? We you know mistakes the trials that we learn from. In order to He's a poet. Love it. He's a poet. Oh, beautiful. People, yeah. Are you ready? Throughout my change to grow some of my uh, well I'll jump to my uh, my second one uh, and we'll finish memorializing Dave here this is a I appreciate this this is a this is a selfish endeavor somewhat what else would you expect from me um, play this track from uh, so this one's a, a an interesting cut uh, this is from the Judgment Night soundtrack Judgment Night was a pretty lousy movie I think Emilio Estevez was in it um, it was like oh, yeah, one yeah. of those get get home before the end of the night uh, movies, but it has this legendary soundtrack from the from the '90s, like one of the most important soundtracks. It's up there with probably like singles. Um, every track was a combined uh, hip hop group, uh, really good taste of hip hop groups they invited, combined with um, some type of rock or metal group. So you have like uh, I'm trying to remember what's on there. You have like Biohazard and Onyx. Biohazard and Onyx, Faith No More, and Booyah Tribe has a song on there. <laughs> um, Pearl Jam and uh, is this for Mix a Lot? <laughs> I think is on there. They're both from Washington. Yeah, so they're both. They're both from Seattle. Um, Slayer and Ice. Slayer and Ice T. And then there's this the my favorite track is oh is Del the Funky Homo Sapien on that one too? Yeah, um, I don't know. Dinosaur Junior. Di- Del and Dinosaur Junior. 
Um, it's incredible. My favorite track on here is the Daylight track. It's so poignant. They're kind of playing the part of washed up artists. And I think it was supposed to be kind of like funny and and caricature, but they made it the coolest thing ever. And they combined with this group out of Scotland Teenage Fan Club. Teenage Fan Club, yeah. yeah. So um, Dave's the second verse on there. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll listen to him. By the way, just kind of a, a comment on that. So the first song we listened to, my brother's bass said, Dave was the... Um, we all right? <laughs> Operation complete. <laughs> That's from Dave, AOI. Dave was the Dave was the voice in the first song that would come in kind of between uh, Postanus's verses. He was almost doing like um uh like a, a different vocal thing there, sounded very different than in Jordan's. And then in this one I think this is gonna be kind of like early early Dela, but Dave in his kind of in his most natural form. But he was really versatile in how he would approach stuff. He's the second verse on here. First verse is Pasta News. This is like a song I'll still quote from time to time. I lost touch with reality. Now my personality is an unwanted commodity. Like it's poignant. You it gotta matters. make make sure the audience knows what true goy stands yeah, for. Yeah, it's uh it's it's yogurt spelled backwards. Um <laughs> I, th- I think they did a thing where they decided like the last food they ate was spelled backwards was gonna be their uh their hip hop name. Yeah. Like they would have that this was the best part about them. They came up at a time where rap started taking itself really serious and sometimes wasn't their first album the same year that uh NWA's eighty nine um, or it, was it was it eighty seven or eighty nine? Maybe me, myself, and I. I think it was eighty nine. But maybe. but they came out and they they talked about heady stuff. But they were they're they goofy had too. Fun. Yeah, they always had fun. I've seen them live. They're incredible live. They came through uh, Salt Lake. They were part of the um, what was that? Um, Smoking Twilight. No, or, Twilight. Oh, Twilight. They did I the Twilight. That. I, I saw them that. for five bucks at Pioneer Park. I missed part that. of the Twilight series. Oh, they had a live yeah. band backing him. It was incredible. Yeah, um, I was sad that I missed. Anyway, it. fire up, um, fallen with Teenage Fan Club, and uh, and this will round out our uh, our day law, our day law, and our Dave love. Traveling. <laughs> that sounds like bare naked ladies right there. <laughs> It's been one week. No. Yeah. <laughs> Don't sorry. ruin this for sorry. me. Steve. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> I do like Teenage Fan Club, though. There are other stuff I like it. Hey, yo, kids. What's up? Remember when I used to be dope? Yeah. I own a pocket full of fame. But look what you're doing now. I know. Well, I know. I lost touch with reality Now my personality is an unwanted commodity believe Can't it. believe I used to be Mr. Steve Austin on the mic Six million ways I used to run it I guess Oscar Goldman got mad Cause I got loose circuits so loose. I so beat a mother goose with the eggs that seem to be Cause I'm out of here Mama don't love me and my mama don't care Read the papers, the headlines say 
Washed up rapper got some Lingo's busted while the guitar sways B-side copy for the radio plays for something I knew I blew the whole fandango When the drum programmer wore a kango Never could be like great fish won't bite bait Realize that I'm over like clover No good luckin' so mace beat the f***ing beat While the teenage fans are heat I bring it to the clues, paid all my dues So what's going dead? Let me use my forehead Easy pack it up man, let me stop stalling Cause everything I do is like fall Bumps, I love it, I love it Anyway, Is that a little Tom Petty in there? It may be falling. <laughs> well, yeah, it probably is. Probably is. Uh, it's also a reference to. Um, I mean, the the topic of the song is like uh, an artist, a, a once popular hip hop artist that has fallen. But it may be a direct reference as well. They're, they well, use, the sample, right? Maybe. Yeah. Oh, I think. Like. I think it's free, actually free fall. I think it's teenage fan club singing. Yeah, the the whole thing oh, with that album it, is it was they uh, had each song had a band backing the hip hop right, artist. So that's right. that is teenage fan club. But yeah, they might you know but I'm sure probably there's swiping some it. Yeah, yeah. Or or performing it live but stealing it. Anyway. Anyway. Um so as you can see, it certainly had an impact on me and uh and it's been fun to lean into to music and memory. And then that piece that Dr. Hicks put out it I, I took that as a sign from the universe like let's do this. Let's lean fully into this so i have some prompts i'm gonna i'm gonna give you all and uh we're gonna lean into music and memory before i do that any uh any final thoughts on this this topic uh in general i know i've already kind of encroached a bit on this and you and steve and brandon haven't had much to say i did want to share like maybe a one minute one and a half minute of brett backrack i was hoping someone would because i'm not qualified to do it is that all right all right. So, so like I mentioned, I was introduced to Burt Backrack in two ways, really. Before my cousin showed me the Elvis Costello Burt Backrack, I remember my mom would always just be singing songs around the house. And I didn't know until a lot longer, a lot later, that a lot of the songs she was singing ended up being Burt Backrack songs. Songs like Alfie, um, songs like uh, What the World Needs Now, um, you know, Close to you. A lot of these songs have been made famous by different performers: the Carpenters, Dusty Springfield, uh, you know, the and movies, right? Like uh, the James Bond movie has the look of love. Uh, Sundance, uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid has raindrops keep falling on my head. All these are Burt Bacharach composed songs. Um, but I came around to really appreciating when he did that Elvis Costello album, and I think we featured one song there before. But I, I sent you, Brandon, an email. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw it. There's a link to Burt Backrack talking about when he was um, studying as a composer, and they were doing – this will be interesting to you, Steve, per- perhaps. He was studying with a composer. They were all doing this very dissonant stuff. This might have been in the 50s. And he had a second act of one of the things he was composing, and it was melodic. And he was really embarrassed to share it with the class because <laughs> it was very melodic. And he shared it, and, and something his teacher told him really impacted him. And I think, for me, this is a way of thinking about background. It's easy to listen to his stuff and just think, oh, it's schmaltzy, it's loungy. Yeah, maybe it's a little more interesting than the other stuff going on. But another way to look at it is to think, you know, you think about the Beatles, you think about bands that were doing kind of straightforward rock and roll, and then as they evolved, they were trying to push the boundaries in terms of time and melodic things and and think about Burt Bacharach who was a composer you know making dissonant music but really 
also wanting to get paid and wanting to provide for his kids and family and starting to make money writing pop songs. And so he's coming back into from the other angle of being way outside, way experimental, dissonant, and then saying, hey, people want me to write these R&B songs for the Shirelles or for Dionne Warwick. So I've got to figure out how to do this. But he was still odd in the way he would do it. And so to me, I think I brought this up previously, talking about David Lynch, Burt Bacharach, there is some schmaltziness in there. But just thinking that's who he is would be like watching Twin Peaks and thinking David Lynch is just a soap opera director, right? When you watch Twin Peaks, it's like a soap opera, but it's there's something dark, there's something off, there's something weird. And I feel like Burt Bacharach has that to some degree. Maybe not as weird and dark as David Lynch. But anyway, let's. you have the, the mm-hmm. link I sent you. So this is Burt Bacharach talking about this early ex- uh, experience that he had. I call your name. First, it's him singing for about 15 seconds, so just keep, keep it going. Yes. But it's just crazy. Double pianissimo. When it ends. This is him conducting and playing the piano and singing it with this group. I started studying composing. I studied with Darius Milo in California. And I had written this one, Sonatina, that summer for violin, oboe, piano. And I was very ashamed, very kind of nervous and ashamed of the second movement because it was very melodic. And we were all writing very dissonant music in the class and and that was the vogue at the time. And influenced by Henry Cowell and things like, you know, that kind of fist, fist to the piano, kind of prepared pianos and things like that. And so when I had this thing that really sang and was very melodic, I think that, um, uh, I had a lot of reservations about it. And maybe he picked it up. I never said anything to, to Milo. But he um, probably felt, and he said, Bert, you never, ever feel embarrassed or discomforted by a melody that people can remember or whistle. And that really kind of like made a big impact on me. Really big impact. <laughs> yeah. So I, I love that, and I and I, I love these juxtapositions where you get someone who's like coming from a dissonant place and a and a heady intellectual understanding of harmony and composition, but he's then now it's like I've got a wife and kids and I'm trying to make a living making pop songs, and then so now if you could cue it's up, it's fascinating to hear yeah. him describe himself as feeling ashamed. For for veering from that, he yeah. felt actual shame. <laughs> well, you know, it reminds me. So my brother in law, Steve, these, these academics, they, they yeah. can relate, right? I know. You know, they we avoid d- melody like the plague. Yes, <laughs> hate hate melody. Haze our students, and no, I mean, there's definitely some. Uh, I understand what he's saying, especially like in the 1950s, or you know, this kind of post World War II the scene of contemporary classical music, yeah, it's very, very much, you know, dissonant, non, non-tonal in a traditional sense and sort of pushing in directions that would be, you know, quite different than popular music or that sort of thing. And Darius Miho, who he's talking about that he studied with, was kind of a famous teacher, a French composer who came to the U.S. and taught at Mills College in the in the Bay Area, taught a lot of famous composers and people, including Dave Brubrecht, studied mm-hmm. with him, and Steve Reich, who you might, you know, famous minimalist composer and stuff, studied with him. So 
that you know the the Bay Area and San Francisco is kind of a mecca and an important area of thought, and Mio was one of these teachers that people kind of flocked to. But but maybe to Mio's credit, you know, it seems like there are a lot of people that kind of mention you know drop his name or credit him as a teacher, but who are, are have went in so many different Very directions. Different, so yeah. obviously he was the kind of teacher that probably just championed creativity and the student's personal voice rather than trying to make them do what what he wanted them to do so that's it's kind of yeah. but it's interesting i could imagine him being in a in a academic setting a conservatory or whatever setting in the 50s and feeling this pressure to kind of like what you're using a key signature you're writing a melody <laughs> like, what are you doing get out of here you're a fake you know yeah, or whatever it, i don't know there's there's a <laughs> echo of that in resonance in visual art like my you know my brother-in-law peter everett yeah and he right. studied at pratt institute in in new york and i remember talking to him about that and him and he was talking about how there was a lot of pressure when he was there in the maybe it was late 90s, early 2000s, that like if you did anything representational, some professors were like, you know, if, if, you, if there's anything on your canvas that looks like something recognizable, it's like, what are you doing? You know? <laughs> and, and so there's something similar there. And, yeah. and Pete wasn't necessarily trying to be an illustrator or anything or representational, but he also liked that you could use symbols or recognizable image instead of trying to just be so out there. And so he liked to do that. And he had some professors that kind of encouraged that, but there was, it is interesting in art, this, this pressure to go so outside that like something, something melodic or something that a human brain can grasp is seen beneath some people. And then on the flip side, the stuff that's on the radio sometimes can get so contrived and so boilerplate that, you know, and this is where I'd say, if we think about most of the music we've listened to on this podcast, how how many percentage of the songs do you think have been outside of four four time, or have have had more than one key in it, or any kind of modulations? You know, not a ton, like less yeah. than ten percent, probably. Whereas Burt Bacharach, there's this interesting time in the '60s where pop music, classical music, and jazz music was kind of like, you know, there's these kinds of, uh, you know, especially in his music. It's, it's being made for films on one hand, so there's a little bit more of a composed element, and then there's but it's also poppy and it's got a tune you could sing. Um, but there's something about that era that that's interesting to me in his music specifically. And do you want to play just a couple clips before we move on? Sure. So let's look up Dionne Warwick, anyone who had a heart, and think about Ennio Morricone when you hear this, and you'll hear some what well, in the sounds, but also. Just this, this is the same time period. Uh, anyone who had a heart, Dionne Warwick was one of his big collaborators, as well as how David wrote the, the lyrics for most of these songs. Anyone who ever loved could look at me and know that I love you. Anyone who ever dreamed could look at me and know I dream of on yourself so just listen to like the chords 
listen to the instrumentation, the time. It's like, is this 4-4? Four, four? Is this a bar of three? Is this, you know, but it's, but it's tasty. Breaking up is so very hard to do. So anyway, um, you know, it's interesting, fascinating watching videos of him talking about his music, talking about his songwriting process. He mentions as a kid living, you know, in Forest Hills, which I think is outside of uh, New York City. And he would come into 52nd Street and watch Bebop, you know, on 52nd Street. He watched Charlie Parker and Dizzy Gillespie. And he was saying that. And then the French Impressionists, Ravel and Debussy, were, you know, he was like, those two forces were like really you know, appealing to me. Um, last thing to play is the, the Elvis Costello one, um, with him. This is from two, 1998 it's called, um, the sweetest punch. So this is after Bert got thawed out like Austin Powers after 30 years of being in the, right. <laughs> So I don't know, Steve, if you have thoughts about this, like mm. I heard I've heard orchestrated pop. And then I've also heard from one of the things I listened to yesterday, the description of neurotic pop to describe Burt Bacharach's music, neurotic pop. So, neurotic but I pop. like the orchestrated pop. I like neurotic pop too. There's like something about it that there's always a, a bittersweet kind of something's off, wrong, something's you know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the orchestrated pop certainly fits the fact that it often includes these lush orchestrations and, you know, strings and other orchestral instruments in addition to a drum set <laughs> or whatever. And, the, you know, the, har- the harmonic language is often more sophisticated than, you know, punk or straightforward rock or whatever, where you've got seventh chords, you've got longer chord progressions than just three chords you know you got modulations like you say you know at the, at the end for kind of a heightened mm-hmm. effect there's maybe it goes up a key or or whatever why, so why, modulates why for the climax of that? the piece or whatever why don't you know? we have that in pop music anymore um, is it too complex does it feel too like what is yeah, it yeah i don't know I mean, I mean there's probably lots of reasons and the answer is probably that somewhere in pop music it still exists um i think i think in terms of like 
you know, punk or rock. It's coming from this aesthetic of like all you need is uh, you know a guitar and two chords or three right. chords, and so and attitude. It, its attitude is already kind of like. I, I don't need to learn about music. I don't need to be skilled at my instrument or whatever. It's more about feeling. It's more about just, you know, the attitude. And if I can figure out where to put my fingers for these two chords and then just turn right. up the volume and, you know, strum the heck out of it or whatever. Steely Dan's uh, probably a good example of a band that used modulations. and Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, if you're going to... Different. If you're going to, you know, if you're going to paint with wide wide brush strokes and just kind of think in general about you know here's more simple pop music and here's more you know maybe complex harmonically or whatever then definitely i mean there yeah there's lots of other people you can kind of does put t swift not have key changes t swift i haven't taste swizzle i don't i don't i don't you know <laughs> probably less so i would say yeah and a lot of the you know female singer produced kind of people maybe less so I'm a big fan of Halsey. I've been more into her stuff, but even her stuff, like the more dance, I don't know. We're getting off on a tangent. I really love Jason's prompts. I don't want to, I want to get to him. I want to get to him. But yeah, there's lots of, I don't know. I don't know what the best term is, but um, I, I, in in conclusion, no, (laughs) I I think it's interesting that you're making a comparison between Burt Bacharach and David Lynch. I wouldn't think of that necessarily, but it is, it is kind of interesting to me to think of like, okay, David Lynch chooses this, this maybe medium of uh, uh, um, soap opera uh, as as a storytelling medium or whatever mm-hmm. to just to, to create art, but then brings to it all this you know strangeness and darkness yeah, and whatever, yeah, yeah. and you know puts his own very personal stamp on it. And if you were to just dismiss it like, oh, I don't like soap operas or or just focus on the superficial trappings of it, you'd miss all these, like, you know, strange stuff going sub-stories on. and symbolism and other things that yeah. he's he's doing. Um, and same thing with Backrack, then. You know, if you just kind of dismiss it or put it in this camp, oh, it's easy listening, it's whatever. It's schmaltzy, you know, it's schmaltzy, loungy. You know, you're going to miss a lot of complexity and interesting things that's there. And, and, and yeah, so you've, you've introduced a lot of that. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. All right, Jason. thanks guys for Great indulging. Job, guys. Heading it back to Jason's prompts. <laughs> thanks, yeah. thanks for listening. Uh, this has been yeah. a, a, a bonus edition. A bonus a, edition. Let the music be sponsored by Burritos, Rancho Burritos. Um, burritos. This, uh, no. no, it actually works Just because I, I think you know the the premise for all of this was for us to lean into to memory, and I think all of this is a uh, is, is a, a function of you know what our, our connection, what our memory is. So I uh, on on these and Bacharach is a luminary. He passed and. He deserves he deserves his uh, his due, and I certainly wasn't qualified to lead a discussion it won't on him. But that doesn't mean my eyes will soon be turned.